We've created a storytelling style that can really be applied to anything. And so I've known for some time that once I would move on from America to other things and I was hopeful that the audience would come with us and not go, uh, I was only interested in this because you were talking about Donald Trump and I don't really care about it anymore because he was the golden goose and you've got rid of him. So uh, I don't care about it anymore. But that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems that people are following us because I feel like it's the style rather than the, the subject matter that, uh, that people are like about the podcast. G'day, welcome to Behind the Podcast with Stocks and Jules. I'm Stocks. I'm Jules, and today Stocks and I went behind the podcast with Matt Bevan from the If You're Listening franchise, who brought you Russia, America, and now the China If You're Listening podcast. So Stocks, what did you think? It's an ABC podcast. It's one of the best out there. There's some pretty cool things. Matt runs us through some of the tips he uses for booking or, as he says, checkmating guests. He breaks down his process, which is pretty impressive. And also uh, details the brains trust he's got around, I guess, around the content. Yeah, totally. I thought that was really cool. I think it was a nice little kind of thing that we haven't really heard too much of before where he's, once he's finished it, he tends to share it with the, the rough edit with a few people and get their opinions before he makes the final edit. Yeah, I guess working for ABC and also the nature of the subject matter he's talking about, you're really opening yourself up to blowback and criticism on, on a platform like Twitter if you don't get it right. And Matt's pretty active on Twitter. So, yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Much learnt. Well, we recorded this last week when we weren't locked down. This week we are, hence the uh, slightly different audio quality you're probably noticing at the moment. But that's enough from us. Why don't we get stuck in? Matt, tell us about the show. Well, at the moment, uh, it's called China, if you're listening. Uh, and basically the idea is it's a place to bring people who were obsessed with Donald Trump for four years and then realized oh my goodness there's something else going on in um, uh, in international politics that I should probably pay attention to now that they've stopped uh, now that China has stopped buying our stuff uh, what's going on here so the aim is if you are one of those people uh, to bring you up to speed so that you are dinner party uh, conversation level knowledge of China. Uh, that's the aim of this season of, of China, if you're listening, is is to talk about how our current complicated, strange, frosty sort of relationship with China, whereby uh, the Chinese government won't answer the phone when our government calls. How did that come about? And, you know, what did we hope the Australia-China relationship was going to be like and how did it end up like this? So that's what we're doing at the moment. It's kind of the third iteration of uh, the podcast. Previously, the, the, to begin with, the podcast was about kind of same deal but with the Mueller investigation into Donald Trump and potential links to Russia. And then it turned into a same deal but just about the entirety of Donald Trump's presidency. But now we've left Donald Trump behind and now we're all about uh, all about China on the, on the podcast. Well, I'm not sure which dinner parties you're attending, but they're different to mine because <laughs> I think there's more than enough information in, in this podcast for a dinner party conversation and then some. True. I mean, it is usually me who brings these things up at dinner parties, <laughs> uh, to be honest. Look, you know, sometimes, you know, in, during the course of making this, uh, people – you know, something will be the news and someone will go, oh, you know, matter of time before China invades and we're all working for them. And I go, uh, not really. Mm. And they're like, well, that's what I heard. And I'm like, uh, mm, okay. 
It'd be good if everybody knew a bit more about this, I feel like, because, you know, it's very important to Australia and ideally we would all be, we would all be you know, fairly well versed in the basics of what's going on with China. And I felt like I wasn't enough as well. So through the process of doing this, um, I've educated myself as well. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of history in that relationship with China. I mean, I think, you know, we're getting a lot of attention at the moment with current situations. And as you said, you know, not being able to have people answer the phone for us. But, you know, going back and, and, you know, when you're talking about when Hawke was the prime minister and, and everything that happened in Tiananmen Square and, you know, before and after, it's, you know, there's so much there. It's so rich. And it's just really interesting to get mm. a bit of an update on that because I think even with the earlier seasons where you're talking about, you know, Russia to a degree and, and America, there's so much that's been happening in the recent history that just kind of like makes people maybe forget a little bit or put back to mind, you know, everything else that's happened in our history because the last few years have been just that insane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we basically from the 80s until about five years ago, we're like, this is fantastic. Uh, you know, we basically we've got this unlimited amount of money uh, coming our way from China. They need our stuff and there's no sign of them ever not needing our stuff. Uh, so cash in right now, everybody. And even up until recently, we could also, the government could also be critical of China without too many ramifications. That changed quite rapidly, fairly recently, and uh, I think that spooked a lot of people. Uh, but, you know, Australia has really, you know, as the Western country most, you know, close to China and exposed to China, has really a long relationship with it. And so, yeah, we've been delving into the way that, that it developed and what we wanted and the way that it's ended up not being quite the way that we wanted it to be. <laughs> My wife and I have been fortunate enough to do business in China for the last 12 years. And when Kevin Rudd was in power, the fact that he was fluent Chinese was, I can't tell you how much, how important that was just to the average Chinese person. Mm. Felt like a high watermark for Australian Chinese relations from a Chinese perspective, at least, just for the average person. Well, yeah, I mean, there was that, but also there was a lot of tension between the government and China at the time. The high watermark, oddly enough, in terms of government relations, kind of came under Tony Abbott. Uh, where they signed the free trade agreement and that kind of thing. Um, mm. And Tony Abbott certainly doesn't speak much Mandarin, uh, <laughs> but it's interesting to um, yeah to look back at the way that it was. Everybody was extremely optimistic in in Kevin Rudd's uh, era, uh, but the optimism has faded quite a bit. Looking back a little bit, I guess I'll segue there. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your history and how you got into podcasting? And then we'll kind of come back around to the If You're Listening franchise. Sure. So I'm from Newcastle in New South Wales, and I got my start in radio at the ABC there, uh, moved to Sydney in 20, uh, oh gee, when was it? 2012 I moved to Sydney and worked in local radio there in Sydney. Yeah, storytelling was the big thing that I loved most about that. You know, interesting history stories and, uh, you know, a bit of geopolitics stories but and, and also local news as well. But looking into uh, trying to give context for current stories was a thing that I really enjoyed doing. And then I took that to Radio National in 2016 and then... You know, Donald Trump ended up sort of monopolising all of my uh, reporting time there at Radio National, uh, and uh, I found that you know giving context to the stuff that was happening with Donald Trump was just taking up more and more and more of my brain space, and eventually was kind of the main thing I was doing, and so I sort of started 
going, what can I do with this? I can't fit all this on the radio anymore. Uh, there's just too much of it. There's too much going on. The stories are too fascinating, too strange. The characters are too amazing, but I can't pack it into the radio. So I sort of started looking for a way to use it elsewhere. I tried pitching a book, but everyone was like, um, why would we want a book from you? Uh, <laughs> it seems like a book as well on that topic. I mean, you know, I think I've read this in, in other interviews that you've given where you've sort of talked about, you know, the, the perils of, of putting up a podcast where things change, you know, within this presidency or within that presidency so much mm. to the minute. I could imagine writing a book would be finish a chapter, scrunch it up, throw it over your shoulder and then start it over again because it's just evolving that much. Yeah, there is that. But I mean, the, I guess... Well, that certainly was the case early on when we were kind of making the podcast week week to week. You know, we were basically making the making each episode a week before it came out. But in more recent times, in uh, in season three, where we looked at Trump's presidency as a whole, and in this season about China, we've managed to break away from that doing it week to week and go right. So let's take a topic. Say you know uh, in the in the context of this season, we'll say uh, iron ore. You know, for yeah. example, let's go and link up all of the stories that you've heard about Australia and China's iron ore relationship over the years. Let's take them all and put them all into a timeline and see what we can find out about the way that things changed and what were the key moments and that sort of thing. Because the the thing that I discovered so much during the Trump presidency is it was just big stories all the time big just big stories everything was huge everything was enormous but then often like two or three days later or or more it would fizzle out and nothing would ever happen you know donald trump would announce something oh my goodness you know donald trump's gonna go to war with north korea and then nothing you know yeah uh, or oh donald trump's gonna do pe- make peace with north korea uh, nothing happened of that what we kind of ended up doing was turning it into a history podcast a very very modern history podcast as in it was history that was happening uh, you know months ago not years ago yeah. but yeah well that's that's where we ended up and and so yeah the, the the threat of having to scrunch the whole thing up and throw it away dissipated eventually and uh, i think the podcast is better for that because a lot of one of the things that a lot of people say is i remember that thing being reported but i didn't realize at the time what that was about and so yeah we've kind of turned ourselves into the answer to that remember this thing that you heard about 3 years ago well that links up to this thing you heard about a year and a half ago. Check that out, you know. Isn't that amazing? That's kind of what we do now. So it has been working for us. Eventually, we got we got approved to turn it into a podcast and we frantically made 17 episodes back-to-back, which was I've never worked so hard in my entire life. And then since then, we've been spacing it out a little bit more and putting uh, a bit more work into each one and it's been improving uh, as as we've gone along, what was the pitch process like with uh, with the ABC and, and and putting this forward? I mean, do you envisage that it was going to be going on for five series, or did you think it was going to be kind of a one? And let's see how this goes. Well, no, I didn't envisage that it would. It, originally, it was just the pitch was let's talk about the Mueller investigation, mm. and then the Mueller investigation ended, and we kind of went. What we sort of created here is not actually a podcast that is limited to the. Mueller investigation, we've created a storytelling style yeah, yeah, that can right. really be applied to anything. And so I've known for some time that once I would move on from America to other things and I was 
hopeful that the audience would come with us and not go, uh, I was only interested in this because you were talking about Donald Trump and I don't really care about it anymore because he was the golden goose and you've got rid of him. So uh, I don't care about it anymore. But that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems that people are following us because I feel like it's the style rather than the, the subject matter that, uh, that people are like about the podcast. That's what I hope anyway. Mm. Russia, if you're listening, um, one of the great quotes and one of the great podcast mm. names out there. Yeah, how did that come about? Who came up with that? I did. It was yeah. I mean, it was hard to uh, hard to figure out exactly how to name the podcast because you know we're like Trump Russia, and we sort of delved into the world of coming up with puns uh, related to Mueller or Trump or Putin or that kind of thing. But then we were like, oh, none of that really works. And then I just wrote a list of things that Donald Trump had said about Russia and then I just sort of got five or six into the list and it went and it went Russia if you oh oh <laughs> listening listening oh that's really good so we yeah we, we we settled on that having said that it is it did sort of tie us to Russia in a way and now we've sort of established the trend of renaming the first word it's great uh, <laughs> you know, changing the first word Stroke of genius for that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the thing is, it's not great for, you know, and, and this is a you know a podcast, you know, we're talking about the podcast industry here. It's not great for SEO, yeah. not great for search engine op- optimization if you keep changing the name of your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's been a bit of a challenge for us. But now, you know, of course, uh, it's become pretty well known and I just get people coming up to me suggesting various other thing if you're listening ideas that I could go on with in future so you know there's an unlimited number of them uh, available if we get around to it so with the with the Mueller investigation and how that kind of folded in the general media and then your own show did you find it interesting the way that when this when this whole thing was going and I'm, I'm thinking you know for myself here you just sort of this report was going on and on and on and on and then eventually this report mm. came and there was that little pre-letter thing that happened first where yeah. people from both sides seemed to say that well you know that's sealed everything and then also when the actual report came same again like everyone sort of seemed to decide that this thing was very much in their favor and it was this giant report that was about yeah. 400 pages long and it just seemed like a lot of people hadn't actually read it you guys did do the effort and, and sort of read it how important was it for you to get that across and sort of talk about what was actually in there well a little bit of backstory first so we did the first series and you know so we got to the end of it and it was you know late 2018 and we we're like okay we've, d- we've kind of done everything that we want to with this and we kind of have to wait for the report to come out. We have no idea when that's going to be. And so we started working on a series that was all about Vladimir Putin and his activities in other parts of uh, the world, namely Europe and, um, uh, you know, his involvement in Brexit and, and that kind of thing. <laughs> and we made, we started making it and, you know, we were in the latter stages of making the uh, opening episodes and we were going to launch... Uh, you know, we're like, okay, so the launch date is, you know, I can't remember what it was, 28th of March or something like that. And then the Mueller report dropped on the 27th of March. Uh. <laughs> <And so laughs> we went, oh, no, oh, no, this is so bad. And so we sort of put all those episodes on the shelf. That ended up becoming a season three. <laughs> but And then, you know, frantically made a series about uh, about the Mueller report itself. But, you know, that was the, the, the funny thing about it is it was the report was so well written, not from a, from a legalese sort of perspective, 
but from a narrative perspective. Mm. It was very readable. I'm not a lawyer, uh, but it was extremely readable, extremely easily understandable. It gave a lot of fascinating context. Interesting storylines were in it. It was. It had huge numbers of footnotes, which also provided more interesting information about stuff that we hadn't known before. And so it, it was, you know, a fascinating read and not particularly ambiguous about what it was saying. It was pretty clear. But then, as you say, what happened in America is basically... People went 400 pages. I'm not reading that. I'll look up on my favourite news website or or blog or Twitter page what they think of it, and that'll be my thoughts. I'll adopt that. And so you ended up with people uh, having a huge variation of opinions about this report, very few of whom had read it. If If you actually read it, it's pretty clear what it's saying, and we we basically based our series on what was in it, you know. And so it was sort of a way of going, so these are all the things that we didn't know before that the report is now telling us. Uh, And we we made our second series out of all of that. I was just going to say, you very much uh, talk about this, the fact that he, in his view, Muller, couldn't sort of say, okay, you know, we need to arrest this guy or whatever. But in the post of this presidency, if someone did want to do that, here is everything that you need basically laid out for you to mm. for you to do so. Are you surprised what's happened since uh, Trump's presidency or Oh no. I mean the, the the thing about the American justice system is that it's very slow. So no, I wouldn't say that you could definitively say that, you know, done and dusted game story over. I get the impression that something is happening you know there is certain Mm. investigations into trump's business and that sort of thing that are continuing that are ongoing uh so no i I would let a bit more water under the go under the bridge before i start to sort of um wonder whatever happened with all that stuff Mueller did i I don't know that it's necessarily been forgotten about yet yeah it's interesting isn't it because i mean you still have the kind of the one side which is very much we have 71 million votes or however many it was so that he's still, you know, by far the most popular figure that the, that the Republican Party has. So, you know, mm. it's, it'll be interesting to see how much they're willing to kind of stick with him as time progresses. But yeah, so far, so good for him, I guess. Well, I don't know that. that I don't. I don't know that anything that Robert Mueller, you know, the, the prosecutors or people engaging in civil litigation would dent that. You know, the one thing that we learned about the Mueller report is that nobody cared, you know. It didn't change anybody's opinion about anything. Uh, Everybody sort of had the same opinion about everything that they did beforehand. But, you know, it's a fascinating thing and it is, you're right, it's just sitting there. But, you know, it it was such an interesting thing to read because he basically went, the first half of it was so much strange stuff happened but none of it was technically a crime. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, here is a jillion times that the Trump campaign met with various Russians and had strange conversations with them. But I think all of them were too stupid to know what they were doing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Or it's just an absolute masterclass in plausible deniability or Yeah, totally. But then, you know, the second part of it, the second half of the entire report was, but the president, Donald Trump, possibly committed a series of crimes in order to try and cover up the nothing that happened. (laughs) (laughs) The cover-up is always worse than the crimes. Well, yeah. You know, it was was interesting. It it was fascinating watching the whole thing because 
You know, for, for example, you know, you compare it to Watergate. Watergate, the crime was a burglary. It was a very simple thing to understand. And then the rest of the story sort of evolved in ever-broadening, bizarre, concentric circles around this burglary of the Democratic Party. Uh, but with the Trump-Russia thing, it was bizarre circles, the concentric circles, around nothing in the middle. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> this strange thing to sort of... And, and sort of what, what our podcast was about was all the strange things in the concentric circles. What's mm. that? Why was he doing this? Why was he having this meeting? And it turns out, just because, you know, nothing. <laughs> it was a bizarre, you know, yeah, very strange thing. But stranger things happened subsequently throughout the rest of Trump's presidency. So um, the Mueller report did, you know, generally get forgotten. There was definitely an absurdist tone to those seasons yeah. when you're covering that sort of stuff. In terms of something like the Mueller report, you mentioned that you had to sort of pivot when that was dropping. You, you're credited with writing and hosting the show. How do you prepare and who else is involved when you've got to consume something like the Mueller report? Are you just doing it yourself or have you got a whole team? So basically the system is that I write and write and write and write and write and write and then I hand it over to uh, my producers who have been each season we've had sort of a varying team of producers who I hand it over to. But most recently it's Yasmin Parry who was the um, – serious producer, the main producer of this most recent season. And her job is to go, um, okay, so which bit of this enormous long thing that Matt has written based on his research is interesting and can we pull a narrative out of? And so I write 8,000 words and then she cuts it back down to 4,000 words and then I go, actually, these... 1,500 words need to go back in and we have, uh, you know, a long debate about which ones go back in and, and that sort of thing. Um, but I guess the thing is that what really interests me is the backstory to things. So I will write long stuff about, for example, I'll, I'll write long things about the history of Huawei, the um, Chinese telecommunications company you know where it came from what you know what was going on in Shenzhen the city that it's in when it was established I'll write a huge long thing on that and Yasmin will go okay which bits of these are important let's shrink it back shrink it back shrink it back shrink it back to sort of the core important points of this that we need in order to get to the next bit and, and make it all make sense so yeah basically that's the system that we've always worked with and it works well for us I could self-edit a bit better. That's a concession to yes, but uh, <laughs> but I, I, the the fascinating thing that often happens is that I can rarely predict which bits she will go. Actually, these are the most interesting and and, and important parts. But has it been really beneficial to have that kind of like two lenses on the, on the story? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So so beneficial, so useful. The process by which we've made the entire podcast is based on that process of me overwriting and Yaz hacking and slashing back. And that's the way that we can make concise, interesting stories that do have a bit of that interesting backstory that, you, you know, stuff you didn't know about the, about the past and the history and quirky little thing here and that sort of thing, but doesn't end up being, you know, an hour-long lecture uh, that is, you know, that you can struggle to sort of get the core points of. So that's been our, our process, and it's worked really well for us. And um, and then after that, 
after we do that, we send it out to a test audience of family and friends who we che- who we have chosen quite carefully in terms of how engaged they are in news. We have people who are heavily engaged in news. We have people who are not engaged in news at all uh, and make sure that it is interesting and makes sense to all of them. And we get feedback from all of them and um, and then make adjustments based on that, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, so how long is the process from starting an episode to it going up? Well, it's it's varied season to season. So sometimes we've made it literally in the days beforehand. So it was, we were making one a week. If for season two, for example, we made one a week. Uh, for season three, we made them in order from, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And we started a few months beforehand. I think we had about six weeks buffer. And then by the end of it, it eroded to zero. Are you planning out the whole season? I mean, a little bit. We sort of figure out which, what we're going to do in each each episode for this one. Yeah, for China, if you're listening, we've we've kind of we completely redid the the process and figured out basically the way the season was going to go in March this year, and then we did about uh, 25 hours of interviews, which were based on we we want people who are going to be able to talk about this, that, and the other. We'll structure it together into these six episodes in this way, and then I wrote the the scripts after we'd done all the interviews and, and structured it all out, which is not the way that we've done it before, but we found that it was a, re- a really good way of doing it this time. So if there are future seasons, we'll stick to that because it's... So yeah, plan the entire season, do all the interviews and then write based on the interviews. The, the great thing about that is that you can write it based on what you know the good stuff in the interviews are. We've got a great story about this, so I'll write so that we can include that rather than writing everything and then doing interviews and going, oh, gee, well, if we're going to include that really good bit, then we're going to have to blow up half the episode and rewrite it. Yeah. From an audience perspective, having those different kind of voices come through as well and just hearing the emotion behind people that you mm. have been interviewing and their stories as well. I mean, particularly in the, in the China series, there are some incredible stories in there. And that is something that we could really only do because we had a long time. So we started in March and the first episode came out on the 1st of June. And so the series was essentially done by then. So we had a long time period, which meant that we could contact the people we wanted to interview and say, we want to interview you sometime in the next month, which people struggle to say they're too busy when you give them that amount of <laughs> amount of availability people struggle to turn you down when you go literally any time day or night for the in the next month but before the end of april yeah. <laughs> people go oh gee usually i say i'm not available for this sort of thing but mm, that's a lot of mm. so yeah, yeah we, we got almost everyone <laughs> we got almost everyone we wanted yeah checkmate exactly so we got almost <laughs> everyone we wanted in and recorded everybody in and so this series was complete before the first episode came out pretty much just sort of tidying up to be done at the end which is not the way we've done any series before how do you avoid things like bias um particularly being an abc podcast where there's i guess people have preconceptions out the gates well i mean by to a certain extent by checking myself i try consistently to make sure that i look at everything from both perspectives and go if if i was you know a fan of the person that we're talking about how would i feel about this and are the the, uh, conclusions that we're reaching in the podcast reaching too far or um, is it based on faulty information but I think a lot of the the way we get around that is by most of it is by using the words that these people say themselves yeah you know we're, we're going literally literally these are the things that Donald Trump said and did 
Here is him saying and doing them. So th- there's that. But also the test audience is part of that. And yeah, so by running it by people and going, and people will go, hang on, you're reaching a bit far here or how can you prove that? Or do you actually have a source on that? And so we check, double check and... It, you know, it's a, it's a long journalistic process that we, we go through to make sure that everything is... We can defend everything that's in there, I suppose. And then with so much reliant on the interviews and, you know, voice of, of the people involved, how do you go about getting your guests? Well, I mean, previously, in previous seasons, it was... We didn't do nearly as many interviews before, simply because... It was more difficult to, and we were, you know, we we were really talking about Donald Trump a lot and Vladimir Putin mm. a lot, and what they did specifically, and uh, it was you know difficult to get an interview with either of them. So generally, we were basing it on stuff that they said, uh, but we did get some really good interviews throughout the process. You know, we interviewed Alexander Downer and George Papadopoulos. We were the first outlet to get both of them on the record about the famous meeting that they had that actually started the whole Mueller investigation. And to be honest, it was the same the same sort of thing. Anytime, we're available, anytime in the next three weeks to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, oh, okay, well, I suppose I can make time in the next three weeks. People are keen, you know, people love to talk, particularly in America. Americans yeah. love to talk. So yeah, basically by getting our bids in long before we needed them, that that's the key to it, is by going... We are available at any time to talk to you and we're that keen to talk to you that we are willing to, you know, wake up in the middle of the night, do it early in the morning, whenever it needs to be, I will do it. And then while we're doing it... And these requests won't stop until we've had our interview. (laughs) Yeah. And then when you do it, you know, give them the time to explain everything and... So we've found through various processes, people have said, oh, yeah, well, my friend Blighty Blast spoke to you and he said that you were great. So, you know, so there's, there's that. It's it's about making sure everybody feels comfortable with the way that you do things. That's, that doesn't mean don't challenge them if they need to be challenged, yeah. but treat everybody fairly and respectfully and accommodate their requests and needs as best you can. And that's, you know, that it's, it's worked really well for us. In terms of post-production, it's a beautifully packaged up show, lovely music and soundscapes and tightly edited. What's the process for that? So we do a first edit, uh, which is the one that we send out to our test audiences. And then we sort of just tighten it up after that but so I, I do all the finding of the grabs as in so people talking and then Yaz my producer did all of the music and the sound effects and stuff uh, we also held, had help from Amelia Tan for this ser- series for that and then once we've sort of thrashed everything out together and figured out what we want it all to sound like and you know put all the things in fairly roughly we then hand it over to Will Ockenden who is has very at various times been the main producer, but at the moment he is the main producer for CoronaCast, so uh, mm. which is you know a, a pretty full on job. But he has been making time in his schedule f- to do the final mastering of the series for us, and and that that's what makes it so, sound so great. It goes through a number of mm. people's different people's hands. But the other thing, sorry, the other thing, one more thing that I did, didn't say about bias. Um, the other thing that we've done for this series is we've got uh, Iris Zhao, who is a Chinese national, and she lives here and works for the ABC, going, look, you're making a big jump here on China. This actually isn't that relevant. That's a bit of a stereotype about China. Or actually pulling me up on those things and making sure that everything is sounds the way that if a Chinese person was listening to it, they're not going to go, well, this podcast has absolutely no idea what it's talking about. That was the other thing that we did uh, for this series to make sure that we don't sound at least, we, we don't sound biased and we don't sound out of touch. 
or or ignorant about what we're talking about. It's excellent having that kind of voice that you can run things past and, and consult with and just not have it go straight out. And The important thing for me with all those, with, with all the people that work on it is I want them to go, this bit is crap. This bit is wrong. This is garbage. Rewrite this. This is nonsense. And so we, I have as many people as I can who I trust the opinion on and know will tell me if something is crap. Uh, listen to it beforehand. <laughs> that's my. That's the big part of the process. Uh, and one of them is my wife, and she will very much tell me if something is crap. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's a big part of the process is is checking it with people who will not hold back in their criticism. And after a weekend of looking after the four kids, you're having to say to her, "You are talking about the podcast, right? These criticisms are <laughs> limited to that." <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed, yes. How did you land on the format in terms of this and the style? Was it influenced by things like This American Life? What was out there that inspired you? Basically, so I do a segment on Radio National each morning for Radio Nas- on Radio National Breakfast at 6.45, which is basically, point was to string together a bit of a you know context for a story that is a big news story today. And it just kind of naturally fell into that, this sort of thing where we start, you know, in a certain point, play grabs to illustrate the point. I sort of make a few ironic comments if necessary, if it's warranted. We go into a little bit of backstory, you know, interesting little things that are related to the story or even sort of tangentially related just to make it sound interesting. And I'd been doing that for two years on Radio National and I just kind of went, can we make this longer? That was basically it. So, yeah, not not really, I mean... It wasn't really based on other broadcasts. A big inspiration was Rachel Maddow, her show. Not so much in the in the, the content of it, but the way that she goes, right, I'm going to get to this point, which is today, this thing that happened today. But I'm going to start, like, years ago with the first, you know, with a really interesting thing that happened, and I'm going to draw a long line that ends up where we are today. I've loved listening to her do that over the years. And so that's what kind of gave me the, gave me the confidence to go, the audience will come with you. They may not come with you an infinitely long period of time, but it does. You don't need to start with the most interesting breaking thing. You can go. So let's start with a little thing that happened in 1985, and we'll trust me. This is relevant. We'll get there. But this is. I'm going to start with telling you this, and we'll get to the the point soon. And I think I really yeah. enjoyed listening to that. So that's one of the things that I adopted a, a bit of in the podcast. It's such a great device. And I think once the audience kind of gets used to that, they just are so mm. open and I trust you. Personally, yeah, you're just open to, to go on that kind of ride. People can be hostile to it at times, though. You may recall there was a day when Rachel Maddow ended up with, she had a few pages of Donald Trump's tax returns. And yeah. she was like, right, Let's start in 1978 and, you know, it had all been promoted and all these people who didn't usually watch her show had tuned in and, you know, she was 20 (laughs) minutes in and she was almost up to, you know, Donald Trump getting elected (laughs) and and Twitter just dumped on her. What are you doing? What is this crap? Uh, And I'm like, this is, this is what she does. This is her thing. But yeah, so sometimes you do have to get to the point, (laughs) but no, look, if, if, if you deliver, then the audience will trust you. What's the audience reaction been like generally with you? And, you know, tell us a bit about your audience in general. And you are quite active on, on Twitter and everything. I was expecting people to switch off for this series. I wasn't necessarily expecting that we would grow our audience from our American content. But it is growing. 
China, if you're listening, is looking like it's on our way to be our most successful series yet, which is great. And there hasn't been a lot of negative feedback so far, so that's that's great. But, you know, the audience is is funny. It's, it's random people I bump into in the street. Once I was, a, a few years ago, um, in 2018, I was at, you know, the, you know the little train things? You can go to like a park and, you know, a little society of volunteers will have set up little trains that you can catch around with your like kids. Miniature trains? Miniature trains, yeah. Not like, not like model yeah. trains, but miniature trains, yeah. So I'm there with my, my kids in the queue for one of these miniature trains and one of them was being naughty and I was talking to them harshly. You know, not that harshly, but I was like, stop, you know, kicking that or whatever it was that I was saying to him. But I said it loudly enough that someone, like a few people behind me in the queue go, are you that guy from that Russia podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The funny thing is that- Using the same tone as voice, you used to talk about Donald Trump. Yeah, I was like, I don't talk like this on the podcast. Uh (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of random people of all different ages that that come to me about the podcast. Generally, at most parties that I go to, someone will sort of have, 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 you know, discovered the podcast at some point randomly or will recommend it to one of my relatives or something like that. So it's been pretty widespread uh, and pretty successful. And yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm very proud of it. It's It's been a really enjoyable thing to do and people seem to like it. I didn't nearly expect that the audience would be as big as it is. It was a big surprise in the first series when we when we did so well and that people have stuck with us is is. Great. Why do you think the show has grown this season in particular? Do you think there's less noise around Trump, it's more interesting subject matter, or it's just a natural progression of the podcast? I don't know, uh, but I I think possibly less noise. We were a podcast about the Trump administration. There were hundreds of those, but there aren't that many podcasts of our style about China and Australia. There's a, a number of really good ones that are available. There's the Little Red podcast that is made by Louisa Lim is one of our guests on the series. She's one of the hosts of that podcast. It's really great. But yeah, so what we're really trying to do is pitch it to an uh, an audience of people who don't know that much about China currently. And there's not a lot of that in the market. So I wonder whether that is potentially a contributing factor to the the growth of of this series. Just there's less competition, I suppose. I think domestically, it is something that's very much on the at the forefront of everyone's minds at the moment. There's a China story most days. A lot of people have opinions about China, so it does come up a fair bit. So it was really a right place, right time sort of thing. You know, all this could have happened two years ago and I would have been neck deep in Donald Trump and would have found it difficult to pivot. But because Donald Trump lost the election, we were available. And yeah, it was right place, right time, really. You've obviously, the season isn't quite complete yet. There's, there's a few episodes still to come out. But mm. as you said, you've recorded a lot of these. And your downtime, are you listening to any podcasts? Are there any that you'd like to recommend? Well, you know what? You know what I'll recommend? When the Capitol riot happened on the 6th of January this year, we, we had a bit of a discussion afterwards about whether we would put China on hold and do a series about that, about that event, sort of go into QAnon and and all that kind of thing. And then someone mentioned to me the New York Times podcast Rabbit Hole. Yeah, I love that. And I listened to it and I was like, I I can't do better than that. So (laughs) let's just do China. (laughs) I mean, that was, that even pre, you know, it predated the Capitol riot, but it was everything that you needed to know about QAnon and all that kind of thing and the rise of that particular part of... Uh, internet culture and so i guess that would be it uh rabbit hole 
it's a wonderful recommendation. And lastly, do you have any advice for anyone looking to start a podcast or for podcasters in general? Well, I mean, find something that you are good at and see if you can turn that into a podcast. So my skill is in two things. One is remembering esoteric things from the past and news stories that came up some time ago. And the other skill I have is storytelling. Those are basically my two skills. Basically, I've figured out a way of turning those two things into a career. You know, not everybody has those specific skills, but I think, uh, you know, a lot of people sort of go, ah, yeah, well, I'll I'll do a podcast and I'll I'll do it a bit like these people, uh, but I'll do it about my interest. Try and do it like another person. And I don't know that that's necessarily the way to go, given that so many podcasts are out there. So, you know, find something that you are good at, but don't necessarily feel like you need to imitate someone else in order to make your podcast work. Well, I think that's a pretty good place to start. And I think your voice does absolutely carry through this whole show throughout the season. Very interesting one to listen to and and certainly one that people can get hooked on pretty quickly. Yeah, it's a lovely balance of being so thoroughly researched, but delivered in a format that's easily digestible. So whatever you're doing, well, you've explained what you're doing. It's working a treat. We love it. We're huge fans. No worries. Thanks so much. 